Number 35. Shemaluddin al-Humuki al-Husayni. How can I find you, with sciences or with ecstasy? Who can find you without apparent existence? You awoke me with knowledge, then you left me bewildered. I tasted, then I saw nothing. Ecstatically I meditate upon existence, and yet remain in anguish, sometimes present, sometimes passing out. Abul Hasan Sumnun ibn Hamza al-Khawas Sheikh Jamaluddin al-Khumuki al-Husayni was one of the perfect human beings whom God graced with his divine names and attributes. He made him the central pillar of divine inspiration of the hidden secrets and the key for the lock of the throne of knowledge. He represented his Lord as his shadow in this world, his heart adorned with the pearls and diamonds of the essence of the unique oneness. He made him the house of his light. He was the sustainer for the hearts of the seekers, and he was the means for those wishing to hear directly the divine words. He was the red sulphur weighed in the divine scales, the guarantor for unveiling the deep secrets of worship. He was the dictionary of the language of the special knowledge. In him resided the green emerald and the red ruby of the divers in that ocean to whom came the massive heritage of reviving the knowledge of spirituality and religion. He comprehended the speech of the birds. He was the translator of the passion of divine love. He was distinguished by the revelations of this order. He was the appearance of the prophetic state of the truth of Muhammad. He was a master of masters, a light of lights, and a knower of knowers. He was a guide of this order who took his power through his blood lineage to the Prophet, being Hassani and Husseini by ancestry, and taking the spiritual power of the order from the Prophet through Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and Ali ibn Abi Talib. He was born in the district of Kubu in Ghazi Khumuk, Dakhistan, in the year 1203 Hijra, 1788 current era, on Thursday the 16th of Muharram. From the first day he came into this world, he was in a state of witnessing and lived his whole life in an unveiled state. He was a scholar in both exoteric knowledge and esoteric knowledge. He was known to speak more than 15 languages, including Arabic, Persian, Urdu, Pashto, Hindi, Russian, Turkish, the Dakhistani and Circassian dialects, and Armenian. He had memorized the Quran by heart and 775,000 traditions, both the correct and the false. 
He was an encyclopedia of traditions and a reference in the explanation of the Holy Quran. He mastered the sciences of jurisprudence and logic. He was a scientist and a mathematician and had a particular mastery of the science of physics. He was a renowned homeopathic physician. In fact, there was not any branch of science known at that time that he had not studied deeply. He was a very great Sufi and authored a book entitled Adab al Muridiyya Fitarikat al Naqshbandiyya, The Rules of Conduct of the Disciples in the Naqshbandi Order. He was already a saint and a spiritual pole in the time of his Sheikh. He held that station for forty years. His Sheikh, Sheikh Ismail, showed him all kinds of secret knowledge important for the training and raising of his followers. During the lives of the two other great saints of Dakhistan and the Khalifs of his Sheikh, Khas Muhammad, and Sheikh Muhammad Effendi al-Yarahi, he continued to be the saint carrying the main secret of the Naqshbandi order. However, only when his Sheikh, Sheikh Muhammad Effendi al-Yarahi, passed away, was he given permission to become the master of the order. He was tall and thin. His complexion was very white. His beard was very long and wide. His eyes were red. His voice was very soft and sweet. When he was young, he was a student of scholars and Sufis in Dakhistan. For a while, he was the private secretary of the governor of the state of Khazi Kumuk. He decided to leave that position because he said, God gave me a power to see with two special eyes, the power to see into the seven heavens and to see through the earth. I cannot work for an oppressor. After leaving, he directed himself to the Naqshbandi order, which was flourishing at that time, preparing the people to fight the Russians. Later, when he was a sheikh, he was the advisor and inspiration behind Imam Shamil's armed resistance against the Russians and also his father-in-law. His knowledge of the Naqshbandi order made people come from all around to listen to him. When people asked him why he left his high government position, he answered with the words quoted above. They were overwhelmed at his answer. In a short period of time he became very famous. During the time of Imam Shamil, another governor by the name of Arlar Khan asked him to accept the position of religious authority. He refused, saying, I will not work for oppressors. Then the governor ordered him to take the position, but he ignored him and simply walked away. The governor then ordered that he be hung. Sheikh Jamaluddin stood with the rope around his neck and was about to be executed 
when the governor came running to the balcony, shouting, Stop! Stop! Don't hang him! In full view of the people, he then threw himself off the balcony and died in the street below. They immediately removed the noose from Shamaluddin's neck and let him go. This was one of his miracles. From his teachings You must use your knowledge. If you do not use it, it will be used against you. The first step in the station of unique oneness is to keep the saying of the Prophet to worship God as if you are seeing him. The worship of the knower is better than the crowns on the heads of kings. If the knowledge about which I am talking to you were from me, it would have vanished. But it is from him, and since it is from him, it never vanishes. Among the deeds whose rewards no angel can see is Allah. The best and the highest association is to sit with God in the state of oneness. Keep track of your hours, because they are going never to return. Pity the one who is heedless. Connect your daily practices of zikr one to another, like the links in a chain. You will find benefit from it. Do not make your heart busy with attachment to this world because it will take the importance of the hereafter from your heart. The stories of pious people and saints are like battalions from God's armies by means of which the states of disciples are revived and the secret knowledge of knowers is known. The proof of this is in his holy book, the Quran when he said to the Prophet, We will tell you stories of the Prophets who came before you to make your heart firm. Quran, chapter 11, verse 120. Be in your heart with God, almighty and exalted, and be in your body with the people, because he who leaves people will leave the group. He who leaves the group will fall into ignorance. The one who would use his secret to be exalted among people will fall into tests and temptations, and he will be veiled from the presence of his Lord. God has unveiled for his servants the extent of their defects when he revealed that they had been created from clay. He showed them their loneliness when he said that they come from a sperm drop. And he made them witness their helplessness and their weakness when he created the need to go to the bathroom. Pride is the gravest danger for human beings. The knowledge of oneness is the specialty of the Sufis, allowing them to differentiate between the eternal and the transient. From his miracles It is said that God granted him two eyes in addition to those in his head and gave him added vision thereby, 
One eye was below his navel, the other one was above his navel. When he was an infant, the women of Hasikumuk used to come and see those two eyes. God gave these two eyes spiritual power by which he would unveil whatever hidden knowledge was to be known, either heavenly knowledge or knowledge related to the spiritual beings of this world. With the eye above his navel, he could see the heavenly knowledge and was given the spiritual power to transport himself into the divine presence with complete vision, without any self-effacement. He was able to look at the divine secrets with complete self-awareness and speak about them to his followers. Whenever any question was asked by his disciples about heavenly stations, he used to answer by first looking with perfect vision at the stations and then giving the answer. The eye below the navel he used for any questions concerning this world and the spiritual beings known as jinn. He was very famous for telling his followers all that was needed about their future, their present and their past. The lineages and the relationships between his followers and their ancestors were unveiled to him like a book. He could satisfy anyone asking about his lineage because he was able to recall his ancestors one by one. One time he was sitting with his followers eating apples. Suddenly he took the apples from the plate and threw them up in the air. The disciples were surprised at this seemingly childish action, especially in the light of the Sufi principle of strict avoidance of all that qualifies as needless or blameworthy actions. He looked at them and said, Do not look at actions and misinterpret them. That would be a big error on your part. The meaning of what I have done will be known after four hours when a disciple will come from another village. Then you will have the explanation. As predicted, a man came and said, Oh, my sheikh, my brother died a short while ago. The sheikh said, Is that what happened? Now tell them exactly when he died. He said, He died four hours ago. The sheikh explained, I saw the angel of death, Israel, coming to take my follower's soul with anger and punishment. I threw that apple up, and with that action I stopped Israel. I told him to go back to God, almighty and exalted, and tell him that Sayyid Jamaluddin is asking that he change the death of that servant from a bad ending to a good ending. On Israel's way back down with the answer that God had changed the destiny from punishment to mercy, I threw the second apple up, and told Israel that he should go, and I would take the soul of my disciple myself. I was the one who took the soul out of his body in his last seven breaths. Some visitors were on their way from Kazan to visit Jamaluddin. On the way they passed by the home of an old lady named Salahuddin Aisha. She said, When you pass by the sheikh, ask him to give me initiation as I am not able to go to him myself. 
At the conclusion of their meeting with Sheikh Jamaluddin, they asked him for a daily devotion for Salahuddin Aisha. He said, "Take her this piece of cloth." They bought her the piece of cloth which the Sheikh had given them. She took the piece of cloth, opened it, and looked at it, saying, "I understand. I understand." And she put it on top of her head. Then she left, and some time later came back with a pitcher of milk. She said, "Take this back to the sheikh." When they returned to the sheikh and gave him the milk, he was in severe pain because he had been tortured by the governor. He drank the milk and said, "Praise belongs to God. I am healed by means of this milk." Which the lady has milked from deer, she is very wise. She understood me immediately. I had put a burning coal in the piece of cloth, and the cloth did not burn. When I sent it to her, she understood that to hold this order is to hold a burning coal. She took the coal and sent me the milk. The milk is a sign of purity of the heart, so she sent me an answer saying. I accept the difficulty of this way. I dedicate the purity of my heart to you. Then the people of the village went back to the woman and told her what the sheikh had said. She related, "When I received the charcoal, two deer appeared at my door. Never before had I seen such a thing. I immediately knew that I should milk them and send the milk to the sheikh." One night, Sayyid Jamaluddin al-Khumuki was with his followers in the big mosque of the city, praying in congregation. When the prayers were finished, everyone went out. They locked the mosque from the outside. One person remained behind inside the mosque, hiding behind a pillar. His name was Orkalisa Muhammad, one of the best disciples of Sheikh Jamaluddin. He was talking to himself and saying, "Oh, Okalisa Muhammad, now there is no one with you. You are alone. Defend yourself." And he answered himself, "How can I defend myself? I am the worst person that God has created on the face of the earth. To prove it, I swear an oath that if what I say is not what I honestly believe, then may my own wife become forbidden to me." He did not know that his sheikh was also hiding himself in the mosque and observing him. The sheikh looked into his heart. He saw that in his heart he truly believed himself to be the worst person in creation. Sayyid Jamaluddin revealed himself, laughing and saying, "Orkalisa, come here." The latter was very surprised to see his sheikh because he thought he was alone. The sheikh told him. You are right, and you are also loyal and sincere. As soon as he heard this, Orkalisa Muhammad floated up and hit his head on the ceiling of the mosque. He came down and floated up, and came down again. This happened seven times. When the disciple is cleansed of attachment to this world, his soul will lift him up, and he will fly like a bird. Then Sheikh Jamaluddin told him, "Sit," and he sat. The Sheikh was pointing with his index finger to the heart of Okalisa Muhammad, 
with a circular motion. As he was rotating his finger, he was opening his heart, not to the Divine Presence, but to the secrets hidden already in his own heart. What he opened up to him were the six levels that must be opened to the seeker in order to set foot on the first step on the way. These are the reality of attraction, the reality of receiving heavenly revelation, the reality of directing the heart's power to someone, the reality of intercession, the reality of guidance, and the ability to move in space and time in one moment. These six powers that he opened up to him are the first major step on the Sufi path. As he opened these six powers, he was able to take him to the state of witnessing. In that state of vision, he saw himself sitting with 124,000 white birds encircling him. One large green bird flew to the middle. After that vision, the white birds disappeared and in their places appeared the spirituality of 124,000 saints. Then the green bird disappeared and there appeared the spiritual form of the prophet. The prophet said, I bear witness that he has reached the state of perfection and now you can depend on him. Give him the secret of the Nakshabandi order. Then Sheikh Jamaluddin poured from his heart into the heart of Okalisu Muhammad secrets and knowledge from which he had never dreamed. He said to his Sheikh, O oh my Sheikh, do these things exist in the way? He replied, Yes, my son, and that is only the beginning of the way. It is said that the secret of his Sheikh could be seen in Okalisu Muhammad. He would go up on the minbar on Friday and would clap his hands and say, O oh people, cry, and they would all begin crying. Then he would clap his hands and say, Laugh, and they would laugh. Then he would make a supplication, saying, O oh God, they are crying in repentance and asking for forgiveness. Forgive them, and they are laughing at the pleasure of your mercy. Then he would clap a third time and say, Do you accept the Nakshabandi Sufi order to be your order? And they would say, Yes. Then he would ask them, Do you accept to repeat five thousand times Allah with the tongue and five thousand times Allah in the heart? And they would answer, Yes. By this method, he spread the Nakshabandi order all over the land of Dakhistan, Kazan, southern Russia, and among the soldiers of Imam Shamil. Sheikh Jamaluddin al-Khumuki al-Husseini was deeply involved in directing the war against the Russians. He fought to keep the teaching of spirituality strong in the Caucasus. He supported Imam Shamil in his fight against Russia for nearly 40 years. The Imam's ranks consisted solely of Nakshabandi disciples, as he allowed no other affiliation in his army. Leslie Blanche writes the following about their relationship in her book, Sabres of Paradise. 
Shamil obeyed him, Sheikh Jamaluddin, long after he, Shamil, had become the imperious ruler who would brook no word of criticism elsewhere. With his tutor, Shamil was from the first disciplined and studious. He learned Arabic and studied Arabic literature, philosophy and theology, progressing towards the complicated Sufi doctrines which, since religious evolution is a fundamental principle of Sufism, included a comparative study of Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus and Muhammad. It was apparent that this was no ordinary student, and Jamaluddin sought to prepare his charge for that great destiny which, according to some, was already written on his brow. However much he planned action, a holy war, still he drew his spiritual inspiration from the Sufi teachings of Jamaluddin. Gamer describes his relationship with his sheikh, saying, As mentioned above, Shamil was a khalifa in the Naqshbandi Khalidi order. His position as imam, though, did not leave him time to act as a Sufi sheikh. Yet, no matter how high his rank, he was, as a murid, bound to complete obedience to his murshid, Shamaluddin al-Khazi Khamuki. Indeed, during his entire reign, Shamil treated Jamaluddin with respect and veneration as his murshid and as a sayyid. The imam treated each wish of his murshid as a command. Jamaluddin demonstrated his support for Shamil also by giving his daughter Zahida in marriage to the imam. Jamaluddin's support contributed greatly to Shamil's prestige and authority. He also had a growing number of troops at his disposal to carry out his policy. This ability and readiness to enforce his will, coupled with his title, legitimacy and the support of the spiritual head, Sayyid Jamaluddin, made any opposition futile. The foundations of a state had begun to emerge. When Imam Shamil was defeated and taken prisoner by the Russians in 1279 Hijra, 1859 current era, Sheikh Jamaluddin decided that the people of Dakhistan should emigrate en masse from Dakhistan to Istanbul in Turkey. Once the decision was made, the people of Dakhistan, Kazan, Chechnya, Armenia, Azerbaijan and other areas all began to prepare for migration out of Russian-held lands. They went to Turkey and Arab countries, among other places. Sheikh Shamil was released by the Russians on condition that he would swear never to resume fighting against them. He went on pilgrimage and was given a hero's welcome at Mecca, where it is said that he was made to pray on top of the Kaaba in order for everyone to benefit from seeing him. He died in Medina and was buried in the cemetery of the Companions, al-Baqi. 
Sheikh Jamaluddin moved to Istanbul, accompanied by his family and the family of Sheikh Shamil. There they lived in the district of Uskudar, on the Asian side of Istanbul. From there he spread the Naqshbandi Sufi teachings all over Turkey. At that time all the houses were made of wood. One day a great fire swept through the district of Uskudar. People fled their houses to save themselves. They came to him, urging him to leave. Sheikh Jamaluddin said very calmly, There is no way that I will leave, because my house will not burn up. This house was built from money which was earned by my own hands. Never will a house burn which was built with pure lawful money. The entire district burned, but his house remained untouched by flames. That house has been preserved until today, and is very famous. His behavior with his family and with his disciples was always impeccable. He kept the best of manners with them. He never reacted to the complaints or objections of his family. He never objected to or criticized his disciples. He always tried to make them happy. One day, shortly before his death, he called his wife and daughter. He said, Today I have done a great work and it has taken all my power and left me very weak. When you read the newspaper, you will see that a big ship ran aground in the Bosphorus. No one died and they were saved by an unknown person. I was that unknown person, and you will hear about it. Then he passed away. The next day his daughter, with astonishment and tears, read the story in the newspapers about how a great ship had grounded and how an unknown person had saved all the people on board. That newspaper is still kept by his descendants. He died in 1285 Hijra, 1869 current era, on the 5th of Shawal, at the age of 80. He was buried in Istanbul, near the family of Imam Shamil in Uskudar. Some time after his death and burial, the location of his grave was lost. No one was able to find it. It was not discovered again for many years. Sheikh Sharafuddin, who came forty years after Sheikh Jamaluddin had passed away, was the one who rediscovered his grave. When he was living in Rashadia, a hundred and fifty miles from Istanbul, he saw in a vision that he was being brought to Uskudar to a cemetery. A person appeared to him dressed in a green cloak. He said, I am Sheikh Jamaluddin. You have to reveal the location of my grave. Sheikh Sharafuddin asked, How will I know your grave? He said, This is the graveyard of Karaja Ahmad, a saint who is buried here, pointing to a place a short distance away. Then he said, My son, try your best to discover the location of my grave. The next day, Sheikh Sharafuddin wrote to people in Istanbul and told them to dig in such and such a place. They dug and found the grave, and they found the headstone marked with his name.
Sheikh Jamaluddin passed the secret of the golden chain of the Naqshbandi order to Abu Ahmad Asohuri.